the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Welcome, welcome, welcome into the show, the one, the only Rob Black and your money. 23 to 25 years on air, depending on how you want to look at it. Started my career by doing little market updates, two-minute updates. Um, I was behind weather and traffic on a radio station. It was a business talk radio station, so I was, I was helping other hosts look smart. And then people started calling in and said, hey, the guy who's giving the updates, can we get him on air? And I was like, sure. I really appreciate it. Life has been good to me. I've had fun. If I die today, no major regrets, other than I probably should eat and healthier and exercise a little bit more, especially during the pandemic. Speaking about exercising during the pandemic, one of the big casualties of the pandemic, skinny jeans. <laughs> I love the headline because it's probably as true as you would imagine. We're not really exercising. We're getting a little flabby. Anything that is tight on our body now is ripping and tearing at the seams of our body. In theory, again, I've lost almost 27 pounds in the pandemic. I know, Captain. Um, Generation Z, though, millennials and TikTok, one of the big things is fashion. And you can see that uh, the number of times skinny jeans are starting to appear, it's, it's on the drop. That's one of those antidotal stories that I can go pretty darn far with as an investor. Maybe not that one, but you get the idea. Here's another antidotal story. Um, and I don't know if this is true. I don't know. It's false, but it's going to get my curiosity going so that I, I start thinking about the next election cycle and the next election cycle and the next election cycle. The headline today in the New York times, and I do read the New York times, not cover to cover, but I do read the New York Times. I find the headlines in the business section to be relevant. And their reporting seems to be a little bit better than like a Reuters, if that helps. Now, when we talk about like magazine reporting or website reporting, you have to be very careful because a lot of the people talking, this is their first job. In the world of journalism, the college kid who got an English degree that cost $100,000, mom and dad are panicked about. They're like, go work for a, go, go publish an article once a day. And they don't necessarily have the business aptitude to really write intelligently. So I see headlines like skinny jeans and I try to take from that something. Here's another one that I'm trying to take something away from. And I don't know if there's gonna be anything to take away from. There's nothing left. Why thousands of Republicans are leaving the party. Hmm. Not making a political statement here, but I think it's fair to say that whoever controls Congress controls the biggest wallet in the world. If you get a president, 
who's working with Congress, you get a lot more spending. And that could be to the tune of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. And just to make it super simple, let's say we uh, get a Ronald Reagan in, and that equals hundreds of billion dollars to a defense contractor. You get a Joe Biden in, that may be a hundred billion dollars to clean energy. I don't know if there's enough money to accomplish everything that any party wants to pull off. And I know that there's hell to pay in higher inflation and a weaker dollar, the more that we spend. But with that out there, there's nothing left why thousands of Republicans are leaving the party. And you read the New York Times article. It talks about in California, 33,000 registered Republicans left the party. Does California matter? No. As far as I can remember, since I was a little child, California has gone pretty darn Democrat. I guess that does matter then, because I said, as far as I can remember, as it's gone pretty darn Democrat. But there's still parts of California that get some Republican. And again, that's a state Senate thing, right? So the state Senate budget can play out in different ways going forward. Again, is this a true story? I don't know. Is this something that I can count on? I don't know. But it piques my interest, and it shows you that everything I look at, I, I look at it through the lens of finances. And I kind of hope you do, too, within reason. This weekend, do I want you to take a bubble bath with your loved one? Yeah. If you have a big bath, I want you to be romantic. I don't want you thinking bubble baths cost a lot of money. <laughs> it, it, little so trick is use some dish soap if you have to. Just try to have some fun this weekend. Um, but try not to get too much debt going either, you know? You know what I'm saying? I found yesterday's story fascinating that um, <clears throat> men are buying gifts for women, not their woman, not their particular fancy woman, but their women. To the tune of about 20% of men buy two gifts for separate women or one gift for several women. I'm like, whoa, 6% of women do that. And I'm not talking about buying your, your daughter a gift. I'm not saying that. I was like, whoa, statistics are fun. One of the articles that I read yesterday, and I read a lot of light stuff from business sections in the afternoon, but Mark Cuban's uh, statistics professor from college uh, was interviewed in a podcast, and they said, what's well, one thing we don't know about him? He started a bar in college, and it essentially goes out of business. But he said every day as, a, as his teacher, he'd stop by the bar and see Mark and try to support him as a business entrepreneur. Oh, by the way, it went out of business because it was a college bar and it was serving underage people. So that's not that much of a surprise, is it? I think we all know a college bar like that. Mine uh, had darts at a pool table and it was a lot of fun on Saturday nights after classes, especially on Halloween. Ah, the good old days, Halloween weekend in college. Um, but I digress. Uh, one of the f interesting stories about Mark Cuban is that he started a bar and the statistics teacher came on and said, uh, what's interesting about Mark Cuban is that he knew instantly that you have to give entertainment in order to get people to spend their money, make it a good time and make it cheap and people will come. It's not a secret that Dallas Mavericks tickets are cheaper than the rest of the league average. To me, it's not a secret. But I didn't put those two pieces together. And I'm trying to take a lesson out of that. Like, okay, entertainment that's cheap, rebounding the economy, um, reopening the economy is what I should say, not rebound. Well, the reopening will probably create a rebound. Sure. And I'm thinking, okay, what's cheap entertainment? Because not all of us are going to have money to fly to Europe for two weeks or to Hawaii. I was talking to a business associate yesterday, 
it, he was almost drooling about the concept of retiring in Hawaii. I'm like, you should do it. I'm like, what would you do? Would you live on the beach or would you live walking distance? Beach? He said, walking distance. I'm like, okay, you should start pricing it. And you should also start going because anything that's walking distance, you're probably not going to have a, you know, you may have a safe way. You may, you may want to like live that lifestyle before you commit to that lifestyle. But back to Mark Cuban, cheap entertainment. And that gets me thinking cheap entertainment, what's going to work. And I'll probably come up with an investment idea out of it, but we'll find out. Um, of note, Mark Cuban also owns a little Bitcoin. Elon Musk also owns a little bit of Bitcoin. Elon Musk's Tesla, who owns the 1.5 billion of Bitcoin, it has risen so much since he bought it <clears throat> to the two and that it's already up 35, 36%. And you're talking 1.5 billion. So you can do numbers of 500 million, right? That's a lot of Teslas that he doesn't have to make profits on. He can give away a lot of Teslas for free or at cost or 1% above cost. The, not the genius, the intuitiveness to pull that off has given Tesla a huge cushion. Now, again, if Tesla, if Bitcoin goes to zero, that's going to really hurt their business model too. But so far, it's looking pretty good after two or three days. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. This is a show dedicated to getting into retirement. I would refer to it as your daily dose of business plus your daily dose of reality that you are going to retire at some point in time. And you're going to live off your savings and your investments and a little bit of social security until the day you die. Maybe some of us will work into our 80s. Yesterday, I talked about a couple who were in their mid-80s, young mid-80s, like 82, 83. Both working at Target being laid off after the Christmas return season ended, their job kind of dwindled. And that $15 minimum wage... How many jobs will be lost? How many jobs are almost charitable by corporations for people who are 80? And how many jobs are, you know, do they take advantage of people at $7.50? It's not the easiest topics to deal with. And I know the Sharks game was exciting in a shootout last night, but that's not going to get you to retirement. So I got to sometimes mesh some of these stories together and, and try to work with them. Um... We'll see how I do on that, especially today. Um, in the first segment, I talked about Bitcoin and how most analysts on Wall Street are relatively negative on Bitcoin. What do I mean by that? Tesla goes out and buys $1.5 billion of Bitcoin. And the analysis that I read was something along the lines of, well, if Bitcoin now drops... 80% like it did three years ago, Tesla is going to be responsible for basically all their 2020 profit will be wiped out in that strategic investment. To the tune of about $800 million, right? Now, again, that was even aggressive accounting. So 
it's not like Tesla really made eight hundred dollars, eight hundred million dollars. That was an adjusted profit for twenty twenty, which is kind of like me saying, yeah, I think I kind of made that, but when you factor in my investment losses and my production cost, cost of inflation on my business model. I was negative, but you're like, what, didn't you just say you were positive? I'm like, yeah, but I adjusted that. So the analysts are focusing in on what a $700 million loss, which is fascinating to say out loud. It is a real possibility that $1.5 billion in, in Bitcoin could go down 50% because it went down 80% less than five years ago. But if he were to sell today, it's a realistic prof prospect to say that he essentially has profit lined up from Bitcoin to the tune of a whole year of making cars. That gives a lot of wiggle room. Again, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, oh, what a party we'd have. So my bottom line is this, and I'll continue to say this. When you're a young investor, if you want to play with Bitcoin, it's like going to Vegas drunk. You might come home with a little bit of money. You might come you, that night. You might win a lot of money, but it, you're going to dwindle it down because you're drinking. Same thing with Bitcoin. When you're younger, you're probably going to mismanage the windfall. But as Mark Cuban and Elon Musk are showing us, if you look at your cash sidelines, as everyone who's listening right now, on your road to wealth, should build up a cash reserve. You should build up an emergency reserve. You should build up your investments, you should build up, you know, ability to have stocks or bonds pay you. There's little areas strategically that you're slowly but surely building up. Then after 10, 20, 30 years, you look back on you and you're like, whoa, I did well. If you were to build up your cash position and say, of all the monies that I have, 5% are gonna go into cash. And I'll use it as a part rainy day fund, part emergency fund, part, Let's beat inflation with our cash. I just looked at the interest rates that Bank of America are charging for their preferred premium diamond account, which sounds pretty fancy, right? Point, 0.05%. Now there's a company called Flourish that it's an online bank. It's not difficult to use. I set it up myself um, in less than five minutes transferred some money from a TD Ameritrade account to a Flourish account, and they're paying 0.45, um, a considerably higher amount. Now, these numbers I have to be incredibly careful about <laughs> because if this is replayed in a month, two months, three months, four months, five months, those numbers aren't real anymore. Um, and all I'm gonna tell you is shop around, look for best cash returns, best interest rates on your cash. Now. To take this cash you should have on the sidelines step a little bit further, I think it's fair to say something along the lines of, Mark Cuban said, if you wanna put 1% of your net worth in Bitcoin, that's fine. I'll go as far as to say I agree. But again, think of the road to wealth as different types of travelers. I kind of threw the young 20-somethings under the bus already saying they're approaching Bitcoin as a way to get rich. Mark Cuban's approaching Bitcoin as a way of letting his cash beat inflation. Interesting. 
I don't know exactly what Elon Musk is doing other than saying it's a future currency. It's it's I don't even know what he's doing. I can't speak for him. I don't know him. I can tell you what Mark Cuban said specifically on why he owns it. But I can't tell you. And again, I'm bringing it up to say, if you want to own it, own it. Keep it realistic and don't think of it as I'm going to push my whole pot in. Although there's something to be said for that, right? If you're going to big, go big, right? There's a talking about stimulus in the United States right now. If you want to put this pandemic past us, do the $2 trillion. It's over. Now, again, we're already starting to talk about in the coming days, in the coming months, we're going to need, in the coming years, we're going to need booster shots for COVID. And it's going to be an endemic for the foreseeable future. It means it's going to be part of our society, part of our neighborhoods for three, five years. We're not going to eradicate it. Not enough people are going to get the shots and it's going to mutate. Will we have lines getting tested? No. Will we have lines for body bags? No. But a new cause of death for the next few years in our neighborhood will be very likely, and again, I'm not a scientist, um, the flu, sure, but also COVID-19 and also cancer. It's going to become part of our statistics probably for at least three to five years, according to the CEO of Pfizer or Johnson Johnson. Now, again, then you get really cynical and he's like a booster shot for the next three to five years, like the flu shot. Sounds like he's trying to make money. That's very cynical. And I don't doubt you for having cynical thoughts. And I, I appreciate that you do. But it's kind of a reality out there. Interesting to note that the very first transaction ever on Bitcoin, a man used 10,000 Bitcoins to order two pizzas. I think that would be worth something like 25,000 Teslas today. But he got two pizzas. Interesting, right? Uh, 2,000 Bitcoins, 446 million at today's prices. You get the idea. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back in. Rob Black and Your Money. Talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. The 20-plus year relationship continues. Mr. O'Hare, how are things at Briefing.com? How are things in the stock market these days? Well, things are uh, things are going well, Briefing, and um, and obviously things are going exceedingly well in the stock market. <laughs> true, true. I, I think I knew the answer to the second question more so than the first. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing out there that uh, is market-worthy news, per se? Well, I think what it's more like what we're feeling so okay. more so than what we're seeing, you know, and what we're feeling is that this market is um, overly complacent, um, overheated and probably due for a pullback. Um, you know, we're back in that mode where uh, just nothing negative registers. It's, you know, it's always the same. You're writing the same narrative day after day after day. Uh, that being, you know, the support of fiscal and monetary stimulus, the uh, the 
upbeat projections around vaccine distribution, um, the uh, expectation, you know, that the economy is really going to, you know, take off here, the realization that you're seeing upward, or, you know, revisions to earnings estimates, right? That's, that's all true. It's all in the mix. Uh, we hear it day after day, but you do have to wonder, well, you know, if you keep trading off the same narrative day after day, how much of that good news has already been pulled forward into, uh, into the market here? Uh, and, uh, and we think quite a bit, frankly, so that, you know, you've had such a, a upswell of buying interest here in the month of February, um, you know, on top of a huge <laughs> upswell of buying interest that, you know, began last October, really. And, uh, and you just, you know, probably have a market that's kind of just needs to, uh, needs to settle down a little bit because you're seeing a lot of, uh, a pickup in extreme speculative excess in some areas of the market that are typically, you get signs of a, a bit of a near-term top, that being, you know, penny stocks, micro-cap stocks, you know, which are going up 10, 20, 30 percent, you know, with, without any problem. And, uh, and that's a little bit concerning to us. Okay. This is a very, very terrible thing to do, but I'm going to call you the old man in this argument. I'm going to be the young man because <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing exactly what you're saying. And yesterday on CNBC, you saw a lot of a parade of people come out and go, oh, the SPAC investments, every one of them are doubling on their first day coming out. That's a bad sign. It shouldn't be that way. Um, Dogecoin, Doggycoin, whatever you want to call it, it's pronounced both ways, hits an all-time high. Bitcoin hits an all-time high. There's real money to be made. Should we not um, give some credit to the millennials for almost – these have to be – this has to be young people investing this way because anyone over 35, i.e. me and you and everyone on CNBC – is saying it looks like a bubble, and yet every day, and again, I know, I know what you're going to say. That's what we were saying back in 2000, right before the crash in tech stocks. Um, hmm. Houses can only go up in 2006. Is, are the old people, is there a chance they're wrong? And is there a chance the young people just get mutilated, murderated, chopped up, hit with a, uh, you know, a golf club in the next couple of days, next couple of weeks? Because if it's, it's pretty fervent right now um but is it an old man versus young man argument or could there be some realities because I, I did see corporations are cutting costs um, pretty aggressively so that helps the argument of why they're sitting at highs but it's a lot to go on i'm just i'm trying to bring in that cnbc versus the average person argument right now i suppose well let me let me turn it around and say let's go back to when i was a young man Right yeah. back in the dot com days, right, sure. and the the young man in me would have said then, well, this time is different, okay, right, and those are some of the most dangerous words in okay. the world of investing, right. Now, yeah. uh, at the end of the day, here you, you're just not going to convince me that fundamentals don't matter. Fundamentals always matter, but there are periods where they are set aside, if you will. Uh, and we're in one of those periods. There's no question about it. I mean, you have no interference from interest rates really right now whatsoever. You have a Federal Reserve that's telling you, please go out on the risk curve here because we're going to suppress interest rates for, gosh, who knows how long, but it's going to be a while. So they're basically saying, go have fun, people, uh, because we're not going to get in your way. Um, and, uh, and there's just a ton of liquidity sloshing around out there. So you get these uh, you know, another term you've heard lately, you know, kind of like a gamified market, right? Mm -hmm. And in terms of, you know, the, the younger set that is uh, playing this market, they're not investing, I don't believe. Um, they're trading. Uh, 
right? And okay, that's more power to them because they are doing quite quite well. They probably, many many probably are, but with trading, you have to be very much on top of your positions because uh, it does become about market timing. And when you get into these situations where you're driving stocks up based solely on a narrative without any fundamental underpinnings, you're essentially riding a greater fool theory, right? You're hoping you're not the greatest fool out there. And as long as you can find one other greater fool, that price is going to keep going up and you're going to look like a genius. But ultimately, when uh, we get back to the reality of interest rates running interference, um, you know, everyone's going to come back around to realize, well, this time wasn't different and, uh, and fundamentals are going to matter. And there's going to be some massive corrections in, in, in some of these speculative pockets. Fair enough. I was trying to think last and I would add, night. If I may okay, add, Rob, I mean, sure. you might not even have to wait for that. Look at GameStop, right? Um, what's changed there? <laughs> um, you know, you've gone from, you know, 10 to $489 a share to down to whatever it was last time I looked, I think it's at $50 a share, right? But there are a lot of geniuses riding that up to $489, maybe not feeling so smart right now. And, uh, you know, because the last greatest fool was identified, I think, you know, and so you saw a huge decline in that stock and, um, and nothing's really changed, right? It's just that, you know, the, the, the herd has moved on elsewhere and we're seeing that today in the, in the, in the cannabis stocks. I was laughing last night as I was trying to come up with stories for today. And I was like, I think my son might be a better investor than me right <laughs> now because he knows about Bitcoin and he knows about GameStop. And like your daughter might be beating you, but in the long term, you're going to probably have a better track record. But that doesn't mean they're not going to own a small island if they could pull off the right time in the right place kind of argument. And I'm like, eh, it's not worth developing, but I've over talked about it already. GameStop at $50 today. It's only down 20 cents. That's kind of a weird thing to say. It's not up 200 or down 200. Um, turning the page to the earnings season and economic data. Uh, more of a realistic fundamental world again. Um, anything you see in art that you are seeing that is relevant to talk about? Well, sure. You know, if we just because I'm fundamentally biased, right? right um, me too. The you know the earning the earnings environment has has unquestionably been much better than expected, right? And uh, the fourth quarter period coming into it, you know, estimates were or you were expected to see about a nine percent decline in um, year over year operating earnings growth for the S&P 500. And with the huge surprises we've been seeing, you know, we're now positive again, you know, upwards of close to 2% year-over-year growth. Now, that on an absolute basis is nothing, you know, to write home about. But on a relative basis, it's extremely important for this market in terms of its attitudes as it relates to the, the reopening outlook and the, and the potential for uh, increased operating leverage and, and, and you know, and, and the uh, manifestation of that through much uh, stronger than expected earnings growth uh, as 2021 progresses. And, um, and that's helping the market kind of rationalize uh, the, the higher valuation, which is trading right now, because, you know, an argument I made in my big picture column that I posted on Friday was really that, you know, this market is, is trading beyond uh, itself in the sense that it's really not looking at kind of like what the four or 12 month earnings estimate is right now, uh, because it, it, it's not taking that at face value because it's giving it a cushion for that to be even higher based on the strong earnings beat rates we're seeing in the fourth quarter. So you might have a market trading at say 22 times four or 12 month earnings, you know, on, you know, uh, at face value, but 
the market is clinging to the idea that you're probably going to see earnings estimates come up 10, 15 percent above what they are right now. So you have really trading more like 19 to 20 times earnings uh, with interest rates still, you know, hanging there at, at low levels. Um, and, it, you know, it becomes a, a basis for this market to find a fundamental rationalization for why it can continue to levitate here, even though it's come such a long way in such a short amount of time. Odd question, but with the end of record low interest rates and the end of record low mortgage rates, if that were to happen in 2021, 2020, 2021, does the market face headwinds that are mm, workable, manageable, or are we going to not say lose, but it's be way tougher to compete with the market in the foreseeable future? Is that a question? I'm not sure, but I'll let you work with what I threw out. Sure. Well, prospective return uh, ideas probably have to be moderated because okay. the other component there is if you get rates coming up in a decent fashion, it's probably because we've seen some success in, in tackling this pandemic and you've seen growth come through uh, in a much stronger way. Right. Well, you know what comes on the heels of that, according to the Biden administration, uh, higher corporate tax rates, potentially higher capital gains tax rates. Uh, and that's not part of the equation right now because the administration has said, look, that's not our first order of business right now. Our first order of business is tackling this pandemic and uh, and getting this recovery going and more people working. Well, as that recovery gets going and more people get working, more people start spending, start chasing fewer goods that are out there. You see pickup inflation pressures, you see higher interest rates. That becomes a problem. But, um, but it, you know, on the other side of that, you potentially have higher corporate tax rates waiting for you, which are going to uh, depress the level of earnings estimates that are currently, you know, not being accounted for. Thanks for your help. Thanks for your insight. As always, I start my day with briefing.com and Patrick O'Hare's page one column. Oddly enough, it ends every Friday in the late afternoon with his big picture column. There's not hundreds, but there's a whole staff working at briefing.com coming up with articles, not just Patrick O'Hare. A lot of insights, a lot of breaking news throughout the day with their in play. Check it out at briefing.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. I saw a study out yesterday that 75 to 80% of Americans will continue to wear a mask likely into 2022 out of preference. That's interesting not out of fear of getting COVID-19. That's a long-term trend. Eh, It's not a long-term trend. That is a change in behavior that I'm not saying you can make money off of, but it is pretty significant. Because also inside that survey, it talked about how many people will want to avoid large crowds. I think the bump in e-commerce is here to stay. It's like the first time you get a professional massage, you're hooked for life. The first time you get used to using e-commerce to deliver your groceries, I'm not saying you're hooked for life, but some people will be. The Instacarts of the world versus going to the store for two hours or an hour and a half and pushing a cart that a three-year-old sat in and vomited in the chair and you're pushing around not knowing that there's crazy germs on it. You're like, okay, enough Rob Black. Um, I always find Patrick O'Hare quite interesting, and that was no exception in my opinion. 
I do want to talk a little bit about some of the things that I'm interested in. Two pairs of Nike shoes designed for Obama exist. He was gifted one of two pairs. Do you know how much that other pair is worth? $25,000. Now, I can't imagine who in their right mind would pay $25,000 for shoes, but I've started brushing up on the, the, the shoe retail market and how it's expected to be the resale market over $30 billion in the next five years, jumping from two billions. And I don't even know what I'm talking about when I say the word hyperdunks, their callback to 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing. I don't know what that means. But from doing some preliminary research, there's going to be investments that come out of it. There's going to be first money mover or first mover money made out of it. And it's going to be legit. And it may be something that I will never, ever, never, ever understand. But maybe you will. I signed up for no fewer than six to eight, I would say, newsletters on sneakerheads people who collect sneakers and what's the hot fashion. And there's some fashions that will always inherently get some value. You could think of Kanye West. You could think of Travis Scott, any sort of celebrity shoe that has a limited run might be a good investment. Isn't this crazy that I'm talking about this? Stop Rob Black. Don't do it. Do we add sneakers to our, our investment portfolio? I'm starting to do research on it. And then I don't even get into what size shoe do you buy as an investment? Is the universal appeal size 12s, a size 10, size 12 and a half? I don't know. But there's a legitimate news sweep going on daily on trends in shoes.